When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Just to give you a heads up, one of us is bound to say something not suitable for little ears. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, November 11th, the Screen Time Semantics Edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I have two kids, Noah's four and Ami is one, and we live in Detroit. I host the Best Advice Show podcast. It's a very short, three times a week podcast featuring your best advice. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's nine, Oliver, who's seven, and Teddy, who is five. And we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Greg Lavalley. I'm the VP of technology for Slate Magazine. I'm the father of Nina, who is eight and three quarters, and Hugo, who is six. And we live in Washington, D.C. On today's show, we've got a question about getting rough and tumble kids to slow down. Our listener's kid is on his third ER visit. Oh, man. Then we are going to help a parent whose tween bristles at any suggestions that screens can be addictive. How should she have a productive, non-confrontational talk about screen time? On Slate Plus, we're tackling that pile of clothes on the floor. No, not the one in the corner of your kid's room. The one that's always beside your front door as soon as the weather changes. How should you manage the winter coat chaos? Or is it just hopeless? Find out on Slate Plus. First, though, we're going to kick off the show with triumphs and fails. Elizabeth, do you have a triumph or fail this week? Okay, so I am first going to do a quick triumph, which is that all three of my kids got their first dose of vaccinations. And it feels Mm. like this lifeline. Of course, we have our oldest who has um, an autoimmune disorder. And I don't think I realized like how much it had been weighing on me. So the quick triumph is that, but I I have for the week an actual fail. We signed the boys up for learn to skate, like ice skate lessons, mainly because I could put all three in the lesson at the same time. And there was something to me like, okay, we go one place. They all like learn to skate. And since we're living in Colorado, it feels like, okay, when we were in Florida, we really like did all the swimming and um, paddleboarding, all that kind of stuff. So we're here. We're going to learn to skate. They are terrible. They are terrible. Um, (laughs) The fail though, is not that they're terrible because I have no control of over that, but As a parent watching them in the stands, I could do nothing but laugh. That kind of laugh that you're laughing so hard, you're crying and you can't carry on a conversation. And I just proceeded like that through the entire 35-minute lesson. And then they asked to stay afterwards. You can stay and practice their skating. And I was like, sure. And I just continued to laugh. My husband actually moved away from me because he was afraid that parents would think that I was 
laughing at children that were not my own. Um, my very best friend has her children in these class. They are not terrible. Um, she, you know, I got her like into the giggling cause I couldn't just stop. And to, just to like paint a picture. So Teddy is in his own section. He's five. They have them picking up rubber ducks from the ice. So, you know, the kids are kind of like trying to stand and then bend over on the skates and like everybody is just collapsing. Um, my kid is like trying to get it kind of between his legs. So he keeps having these like just colossal falls. Um, Henry believes he's an amazing skater. And so he like gets going really fast and then completely, I think he, I, th I think after watching him, he has no core strength because what happens is like one leg starts to go forward and then he tries to correct. And like his arms are, are waving all over the place. And then his legs are kind of like going in front of him. And then he just like crashes on the floor gets back up and just does it again. It's like he was never still. He just was constantly in motion and not forward motion, like just just could not deal with the lack of resistance. And then Oliver seeing all this is just like, nope. So he is moving so slowly that the teacher actually goes and puts his arms like in his arms and is trying to like push him just <laughs> to make him move. <laughs> and it just was this, I thought, I looked around, there's like a lot of kids in a lot of different groups and the three of mine are definitely the worst. And it was so funny to me. Lessons are on Tuesdays. We record on Tuesdays. So um, they have lessons tonight. They're all excited despite like the bruises. And I'm just thinking like that I'm going to bring some knitting or something so that I'm not <laughs> just like, like, I just let you guys, I laughed the whole time. It was awful. I was the worst parent. I offered no, I gave thumbs up every time they looked like these are encouraging laughter, <laughs> but it wasn't, it was like, this is terrible. So anyway, my fail being a, um, bad at, bad at cheering my, my kids on and instead just laughing at their pain. This is where masks come in handy though. Cause you can laugh kind of in secret, right? Yeah, but I mean, I was like, there was, I was doubled over. <laughs> it was, couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't just have it. it be a quiet yeah. laugh. Um, I just, I just want to, if any parents at our skating lesson are listening, I am not laughing at your child at all. I find none of the other children falling funny, just my own. That reminds me of the time I was, I had to like eject myself from a piano recital because I was, I was laughing too hard at the kids. Like this, it was so bad. I just had to leave. My instinct would be to laugh. Like yeah. I would be tickled beyond belief. They weren't even my kids. It was yeah. my sister. You know, and I, she was good, but I just had to leave because of the other kids. It was, it was bad. Oh my gosh. Do you have a triumph or fail, Greg? Uh, yeah, sure. Let's see. I, I was, I was trying to think about earlier what's been going on recently and because I do technology for Slate, people often assume I'm going to talk about technology in some way. Uh, and unfortunately, that is the case. So um, <laughs> we took the kids, they got, their, they got their Pfizer vaccine yesterday, but we took them two weeks ago to get their flu shots oh, yes. at the, the CVS Minute Clinic. The, the boy who's younger, his priority is to... Uh, show off in front of his sister. So because she is worried about shots, he is like a total champion about shots. Even though you can tell he really doesn't want it. He's like, I can't wait for my shot. And he just like shoves it in her face. And she was freaking out about this, the shot. So he went first in a room and then left. And it was me and her and the nurse left in the, in the room. And she's like pacing back and forth. She's very upset about it. And I'm not like one of those parents who's like, you know, you shouldn't be upset about this. Like some people are scared of needles and yeah. like someone's about to stick a needle in your body. Like that seems like you should totally be scared of that. That is that is acceptable fear. And um, so 
uh, she's pacing back and forth in the room and she's like trying the doorknob to like get out, you know, <laughs> like you can tell that she really wants. It. And I, she knew that she she wasn't allowed to leave. Yeah. So she would like give it a try, but she wouldn't actually like push the door and and leave. And then the nurse um, starts, you know, filling out. You have to fill out so much paperwork which is ridiculous because you're you're so new to them like you don't have a record so of course they have to ask you everything and the nurse starts asking questions about you know first she wants um she asks for my birth date nina's birth date and then she asks for my phone number nina turns to me and she says like dad you're you're giving out a lot of personal information to the nurse I think she's a hacker. We need to leave. She's going to steal your identity. And I'm like, how do you know this stuff? So I think my triumph is that as like a paranoid technology parent, I have taught her that any reveal of your personal data is sort of like you should think twice about it. Um, maybe you know, the fact that she used it to try to leave. And the nurse the nurse was like, no one has ever called me that before. Like, this, is, this is the first. This is the first time I've been accused of hacking as an excuse for getting out of a, a needle. It ended in tears, but we got candy afterwards. So, <laughs> I love this so much. I love it when our kids, you know, use the things we've taught them against us. I, <laughs> I think it's the proof of good parenting, or at least I'm hoping. I have, I have a triumph to share this week. Like a lot of us, we haven't hosted people in so long. And, and my wife and I love to, to host people. We like making dinner and having people over, but we haven't had much indoor fun the last couple of years. But our friends called us a couple of weeks ago who have a one-year-old. So their kid is the same age as, as our youngest. And they said they're doing some traveling and how would we feel about them coming to stay with us for a week? So we got really excited about that. We all got negative tests. And then they came and moved in with us and have been playing with us and doing like you know they've been part of our family for the last week and i forgot how great it is to to just have people around and to have people really close to just watch your kid if we're busy and and vice versa and it's just been this great uh reconnection with old friends and a kind of you know a a bit of a, a hint of what life used to be like before the plague and it's just been oh so nice so nice to to have friends in our living room in our guest room, around our dinner table. A real triumph. We knew how much we needed to be in community and that we, like, missed it. But still, in those moments, like, being able to go volunteer. I I volunteered today at my kid's preschool and, like, those sort of things that didn't happen last year. It's, like, these moments that I really realized, (laughs) like, wow, we were really alone. I don't know. I, I agree with you. It feels like such a triumph and... It just feels like hitting these milestones again and finding like our comfort. I don't know. I agree. Huge triumph. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. 
And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Talking about money can be so hard, especially when the person you're talking to is still learning how to do long division. That's why Million Bazillion, a webby winning podcast from Marketplace, is here to help. I'm Bridget, and with my fellow co-host Ryan, we help teach your little ones about complex topics like bankruptcy, climate change, and why there's so much gold at Fort Knox, and so much more. Listen to Million Bazillion wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, let's get into our first listener question, which is being read, as always, by the sensational Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, my husband and I are blessed with two happy and healthy kids, an eight-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. They are both equally active and rambunctious and occasionally get injured in their daredevilish activities. I'm glad that they're able to have fun and burn off energy. The issue is my four-year-old son took a tumble and ended up with a head laceration, which required staples and a buckle fracture, which requires a splint for a couple of weeks. This was our third ER visit during the pandemic for similar minor injuries. The very next day, both kids are back to their boisterous play. We are lucky that our son only suffered minor injuries and is back to his happy self. But how do we get him to slow down while he heals? He has already fallen and banged his arm again, resulting in 30 minutes of tears until the painkillers kicked in, but started running, spinning, and jumping around as soon as he felt better. How do we teach our kids caution without constantly nagging them to slow down? We tried explaining that, with his injuries, he needs to be careful, but he isn't. Should I keep trying to get my kids to slow down, or do I just need to work on my parenting anxiety? Thanks. A possible helicoptery mom? P.S. I also want to add that we have enrolled both children in dance classes so they can learn how to tumble and move their bodies safely. This is great. Who wants to take this? This is great. I will start because we are no strangers to the emergency room, as many of our listeners know, I think. In Florida, we had like a frequent flyers cart. Like I had nicknamed all of the doctors at the local emergency room. They had like a larger room. And because often like it was me and I had to bring the whole family in because I had no one to leave my kids with, they would be like, oh, the new camps are here and put us in the larger room. It was it was awesome. Um, I think, first of all, just acknowledging like some kids are more rough and tumble than others. I There are definitely going to be listeners out there that think like, how do you have a kid that's like doing this and then getting up? You know, they just seek out that kind of play. And I think that the thing is that you cannot prevent that type of play. There are kids that are more sensory seekers. And something we have done for our sensory seekers is looking up what they call a sensory diet, which is basically where you try to provide the ability to have the vestibular system swirling around and have it jumping and getting that feedback on your body by having kind of all these safe places to play rough. So whether that be Mm. like a crash pad or a big, you know, mat, we have one of those nugget couches that is really just a bunch of mats that the kids leave strewn everywhere, but that is Mm -hmm. where they do kind of their big playing and stuff in the house where they can spin. Um, 
we made up like a little menu is what I would call it of sensory activities that I know work. And this includes stuff like putting one of the kids in a laundry basket and the other one pushing them, doing wall push-ups, any kind of that like heavy work so that I can start with those things that I know they can do. And so in this example, like if you have a kid that's got a splint and they can't do X, Y, Z, think about, you know, what can they do and encouraging them to play that way and do those things that still meet those sensory needs without, you know, them jumping off a fence or wrestling. I I think it's okay to set some boundaries in terms of like not nagging them all the time, but instead of saying like, well, don't play that way or don't do this or be careful Mm. saying like, let's do X instead. Let's go downstairs and, you know, jump from this thing we have that you can jump from into this soft pad. And let's do that over and over again for five minutes or, or whatever the activity is to really get those sensory activities. And of course, if, when you can be outside, it's a lot easier, right? You can have pogo sticks. You can have um, either even throwing a Frisbee or a ball at one of those nets that bounces it back. Um, kids really like that because it's like that stuff coming at them. My kids like that. Like, where will the ball come? I think also if you're looking for other ideas, I follow this wonderful Instagram account and the woman's name is Bianca and the handle as rewilding underscore mom so the rewilding mom and she puts ideas all the time on how to have like safe movement integrated into your home and family to meet those needs Uh, i think the big thing here is that instead of telling them no or to slow down because i just really think that that will be in vain um is instead to figure out where the line with dangerous is and where the line with like, this is okay. And enforcing that line. So redirecting like your arm is broken. Let's not jump from this, but maybe you can sit on this thing and spin, or maybe you can push this laundry basket, whatever those are. And listen, four-year-olds are terrible decision makers. I, I feel Mm. like we talk all the time about how terrible four-year-olds can be. They really are like they, they cannot make those judgments. So you have to figure out a way to be making those in a safe way. But I don't think in any way, shape or form, you're going to be able to, to stop them. Like if, if falling again and hurting his arm <laughs> didn't, didn't teach him kind of school of hard knocks way, you're going to have to just like redirect, redirect, redirect. I don't know. But of course we're frequent flyers at the ER. So maybe this is bad advice. Well, my wife is an RN. So we have like a built in, <laughs> um, person to react to stuff like this. I think the funny thing about this, letter to me was that the person writing in thinks she might be a helicoptery mom and i was like if your kids are going to the er and hurting themselves like this you're not like you're not yeah. a helicoptery mom so i think you know our kids are not i think they went to the er once and it was like an allergy thing and otherwise are generally pretty good at not not hurting themselves so i think that you know just like elizabeth said like you're not gonna do anything by by nagging them to stop and i was trying to think of like ways to teach them about how how bonking things is what results in bad stuff. So maybe have them carry like, you know, a banana around for a week and then show you how bruised it is and, and try to try to try to get that right. Oh my but gosh, start, that's fun. Start with an apple maybe because the banana bruises in like three <laughs> seconds. But you know, I, there there is something here where it's like, are they getting the cause and effect of of, you know, bonking things and then having pain. The only other thing I saw in the letter that worried me was the painkillers, but that's because my kids are so infrequently pain-killed that I, I'm, I'm probably like, oh my gosh, who would give kids Tylenol? <laughs> oh, we, we would give our kids Tylenol on, on our end. Yeah. <laughs> 
do your kids like jump from things though just to jump because i have a kid that like is constantly seeking that kind of of <laughs> i don't know like he sees anything i think literally his first thought is like can i jump from this Maybe we're just lucky. Like, yeah. the, our kids build these crazy-ass forts in the living room out of all the pillows on the couch, yeah. which is... And we have this coffee table that some friends gave us that they were getting rid of, which is, like, literally the sharpest lucite thing I've ever seen. It's got four razor-sharp corners Oof. that we tried to put sticky things on, and they just keep falling off. So we just, you know, took them off. And so far, nobody's... It's going to happen today. But nobody's... Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's right probably now, happening, yeah. like, downstairs yeah, right now. Maybe you want to go check on them. Yeah. Zach, are, are your kids pretty like are they rough and tumble or they're they're pretty cautious noah's pretty rough and tumble she's she's brave and likes to jump off things um but she she hasn't gotten a big injury yet it it probably is a matter of time and one thing i'm wondering is sometimes kids i think respond differently to instruction or rules from people other than their parents than than they might respond to their parents and so i was talking about this rough and tumble question with our friends who who are staying with us for the week and one of them suggested did you ever go to like low ropes or high ropes courses when you were like at camp or in school like these are places where like you learn about trusting others to like catch you you know like trust falls and stuff and like those people i feel like are i always thought that they were super cool like they're doing like they're administering this kind of seemingly dangerous activity but they're doing it with like the utmost safety in mind and we were just talking about, like, if the family perhaps went to one of those, um, mm. like, a low ropes course and learned about and talked about, like, the value of, like, watching out for each other. So, the eight-year-old is getting a much, you know, more explicit sense of, like, okay, you know, my, my younger sibling is, is, is partly my responsibility. And it's up to me to, to you know, make sure that he's not going to jump from the top of the tree, but rather from, like, you know, a, a lower branch. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how realistic it is, but like, I, I'm just wondering if there's some value in, you know, doing an activity like that, where the family is kind of learning and talking about kind of interdependence and safety while still having like a really good time. I love this idea. Mm -hmm. I know when we were in Europe, one of the big things there was, kind of this idea that playgrounds should be semi-dangerous so that the mm-hmm. kids are are learning, but again, in like a safe space. And I think that's essentially what you're suggesting. A lot of the playgrounds we went to in Europe were basically low ropes courses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But I like the idea of like doing it as a family and like instead of this being like, well, you guys have this problem, let's deal with it. Like we as a family are gonna are gonna learn about this. I wanted to add one more thing, which is that whenever I have that urge to call out like, oh, be careful or watch this, instead I use, um, do you have a plan or what is your plan? Which was something the Dutch would say a lot to their kids. And I just Mm. thought, oh, that's such a better way. You're inviting the conversation. Like if they've climbed too high in the tree or they're starting to head up the tree, I will say, do you have a plan? Oh, yes, my plan is to go up the tree. Okay, do you have a plan for coming down the tree? And just having them kind of take that moment to stop and think. So I'm not saying like, you can't do this, right? I'm Mm -hmm. saying, before you do this, let's think about it and think about how high do we want to go, all those kind of things by inviting that conversation. And I do really think that that has helped them 
And I hear them saying that now, like when they're playing Mm -hmm. and doing something that might be dangerous. Now, listen, it does not stop them, but we were playing in this little creek and it had all these boulders and they wanted to cross. And instead of just going across, my middle child said, do we have a plan? And the three of them kind of talked about how they were going to get across. And then they went, I mean, we all ended up wet. It was totally fine. But I thought, okay, well, at least they're starting to think about like, okay, the danger here is that we fall in the water or that, you know, these sort of things. Is this stone I'm going to jump on going to be wobbly? Like contemplating those things because I hope, right, that that translates when they're older (laughs) and they're making much more risky decisions to think like, do we have a plan for this? Have we thought through the risks? I like that That's a lot. Great. Do you have a plan or other than watch out, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful, watch out. It's so much better. <laughs> I think it I at like least that. they feel like you're still giving them some choice, right? Like, yeah, totally. I didn't tell you to stop. <laughs> Just curious yeah. what's happening. Hmm. That's really great. Yeah, I like that a lot. Well, possible helicoptery mom. First of all, I agree with Greg. You're not a helicoptery mom. You're doing yeah. great. <laughs> Thank you so much for writing in. Hopefully we have calmed your nerves a bit. Let us know if you do the banana thing or the apple thing. That's intriguing. Keep us posted. We love updates. If you want to share your parenting dilemma with us, email us at slate.com. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Okay, let's move on to our second listener question. Dear Mom and Dad, my tween daughter and I have gotten into a few kerfuffles over screen time. She dislikes the word addictive. I've used it to explain my concerns, as in... I think you pick up the tablet because it's addictive. I suspect she doesn't like the word because she agrees on some level. Nonetheless, should I stay away from the word and make my point in other ways, or should I keep at it so she understands the stakes? What techniques do you all employ to limit screen time? I really want to limit family friction over this issue. Just started implementing a timer system where we agree on the appropriate amount of time per day, and she puts a timer on for that amount that she can pause and restart as needed. But I don't know if that will create anxiety, which is the opposite of my goal. I would love for your thoughts. Tired of arguing. Greg, what do you got? So I think, you know, my kids are probably a little bit younger than this. So part of me is reading it with like a little bit of trepidation for the future. Um, (laughs) Sure. I do think that we use the word addictive around our house, too, especially when it comes to to screens. Um, And I've heard other kids using it as well. And I think a bit of that comes from our fears during the last year of lots of screen time and us thinking that it's going to be something that it's hard to move back away from. But addiction isn't also like necessarily a choice for a lot of people. And so that might not, in, in this case, that might not be the right word because it might be like telling them that this is something they can barely control. Um, and so teaching them about, about control and about trying to limit themselves when they're doing that thing is good. We use timers with our kids. I feel like that's going to that's gonna, you know, wear on them and not work as they get older. Um, and also that puts the timer in control and not and not them. And, you know, what do we do for screen time in our house? It's <laughs> basically I one of us is spending time with them when they're on screens. Like there's not 
screen time that's not with a parent. Mm. And that really is, um, it makes it less fun for them, of course, because um, we're around. But it also is a chance to sort of figure out what they're interested in. I play a lot of, not a lot of, we probably do like half an hour of video games a week with, with my son, who's only six, because um, that's something that he really likes. And I found some pretty lightweight sort of things that aren't, uh, you know, whole world building exercises where he's going to be worried that the video game is doing something when he's away, like Animal Crossing, yeah. that he would have to keep checking in on. Um, but little things that take, you know, two minutes to play the whole thing, like a puzzle. Hmm. Um, and then with my daughter, I'll sit down and watch these horrifying Barbie shows that are awful oh. on YouTube, oh. which she got addicted to during the pandemic. But, you know, I, I think that having sort of an active participant there means that I can say, okay, like time is up. You know, it's not like they can just pause the timer and come down when they're ready. Uh, but trying to be like a really active participant in their screen time means that ideally they watch something that's higher quality, I think. Um, but really, that's like that's the one thing that we've we've implemented. And there's not like a set amount of time per week. Right now, it's basically limited to rain. Like it needs to be raining or it needs to be too cold to go outside. Um, but that's when that's when we do screen time. Kudos to you, Greg, for watching with them because the whole appeal of screen time to me is so I can go and take care of some shit. So you're doing great, man. I screen time is our babysitter around here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't have time for all three here. My issue with the word addiction here, I, I, Greg, I thought you actually made a wonderful point that I did not think about. Just like if you're using the word here and then later in life, we encounter it somewhere else. What have we taught them about addiction? My issue was, listen, let it go. Let the the whole, it is not worth having an argument with any teen or tween <laughs> or even four-year-old about a word when what you're trying to do is control the screen time. So you are, this is like the red herring. You are going to chase this addiction thing down the hole. And meanwhile, screen time runs rampant. So I think if she has a problem with the word um, addictive addiction in this context, I think you're right. It's hitting some nerves. I would just let it go. I don't, you don't need to like admit defeat, but I would just replace the vocabulary word and move on to your greater point, which is trying to, to get this, you know, under control. The first question I think I have for this letter writer is like, what is your family culture around screen time? Because until you have your screen time under control, it is really hard to impart on children, I think particularly your older children, that something different is the appropriate way to handle it. Because if you have your phone at the dinner table, I I think telling them like, well, you're on this too much, but they see you on it all the time, feels really hard, especially in these tween years when they're trying to kind of have that independence and be more grown up. So the first thing I would say is like, check your own kind of the adults in the household. What does their screen time look like? The next thing is I really encourage having a screen time contract. We've just done this with our um, nine-year-old because he's getting to the point where we let him use the screen time more on his own. He um, does projects and a lot of our, um, even our homeschooling can be on screens and and incorporating screens. And I want them to be able to use that. But I, I wanted to set up guidelines. And I think this also with a tween will impart sort of this, I'm giving you some trust, the understanding that having a device has some trust. I also, in that contract, made it really explicit that I control the the internet in this house. We use Google Home, but there's also things like Circle, in which I can see what everyone is doing on the internet 
at any point in my house. I can shut down devices. I can limit websites. And I use all of that power. <laughs> but I've let them know I have that power. And I, and I think that's the thing. Now, granted, my kids are younger. I mean, I have this experience all the time that some days when I'm home with the kids, the phone is my only contact with another adult. And, right. and I think teens and tweens can feel that same way. And so yeah. empathizing with that, but also saying this is a device that can, that I have to have a lot of trust and here are kind of the rules. And so I just made a, a short list of things I think you should think about for your contract. I don't know what the right answer is. I think my legal background makes me feel like a contract is a good idea because you can always revisit it. Like you, this is up for negotiation whenever you or your tween needs it renegotiated, but sort of like what time do you shut down all devices and leave them off till the next morning? And where do you store them? I think that should be laid out. This is where wow. we expect them to be. Is that going to be different for you? And if so, I would lay that out. Like we, you know, my phone comes up to the room, but all our iPads come here, whatever. What is the screen time limit on weekends and holidays? Like, is that different than our normal rules? Um, what are you going to do about travel? Uh, are they allowed to take their stuff with them when they're going places? What are the rules there? For us, one of the things we kind of included is that your device is not available until the following things are complete. Like, do not even ask me for this. And if, you know, your bed is not made, your homework is not done. Um, these are just, you know, non-negotiable. So we also sort of have a, <laughs> a clause saying, you know, we, we maintain all power, but um, for having this device, because it is a privilege. But I think just setting these out and having a conversation about it, not from the standpoint of you're addicted to this, put it down, you know, but hey, we need to have some rules surrounding healthy use of this device. I don't know. Maybe that's like too much, but <laughs> that's what we're doing. The other thing that's great about that is that, you know, for your partner, they can point to that too. And when one one adult yeah. <laughs> starts letting kids break the rules, namely me being like, "Yeah, let's do some video games," um, and I feel like that would be good. That would be good for my marriage, also. So let's <laughs> let's get that contract thing going. Yeah. I like this idea. That's so good. You two are good parents, Elizabeth. When is a kid old enough? You think to start really understanding like the contract for instance like I don't think my four-year-old's gonna get that I mean my nine-year-old was definitely ready and I, we sort of use this idea that like we let the nine-year-old take the device away from us previously device usage had been we don't sit with them but they were not allowed to be in their rooms they had to be kind of in these fi general family areas and Henry got a desk in his room in this house he doesn't always want to be doing the same stuff as his brothers and we sort of said like okay I think you could take your iPad to your room or you can have the Chromebook up there to do your typing or your research or whatever you're working on. But with that kind of responsibility that we're now allowing you to take it somewhere else came this contract. Yeah. What is device usage like in your house? So Noah, she was, she did discover those like weird, like cosplay YouTube videos early on, like where it's like watching kids play with toys. Um, Ugh. Like and somehow they have like forty million views on them, and we we outlawed that um, pretty early on. So she has a select amount of things that she can watch. She's into cooking shows, she's into Doc McStuffins, um, not so much Daniel Tiger anymore. But like those, the content itself on pretty much all those, I'm I'm cool with. And so we just limit it. You know, she has she has a finite amount of time, and we give her a warning when that time is up. And if she resists when we you know when we take it away, then you know we threaten not giving it to her 
the following night. And she's pretty good now at, at understanding that cause and effect. And I, I mean, just in general, I do believe there is like a hierarchy um, when it comes to screens. Like if a kid is watching Mr. Rogers, like I'm, I feel I feel great. And for instance, like we were reading about different kinds of dance the other night in this magazine that we got this kids magazine and so like before bed which i wouldn't normally do but before bed um noah and i watched um some salsa dancing and some zydeco dancing and so like when when we use screens to kind of illustrate lessons and stuff like she's interested in learning how rainbows form like i i'm i'm totally into it for that but yeah i can totally see there are days when we give her too much tv because we're just so tired and the trade-off is okay um, in my mind right now, but also like, I don't know what the long-term effects of, of screen time is going to be. And I don't know how I feel about that, but it's, it's a super helpful crutch. It's our babysitter, like you were saying, Elizabeth. So we're not doing away with it, but um, some stuff is better than others for sure. One thing that I've been trying to impart a bit is, and this is like the thing that adults are supposed to do, but we're very bad at is intentionality before we pick up a screen, like thinking about what our intention is, Mm-hmm. with picking it up mm. and so that's something else you can try to get them to, like when they go reach for the tablet you're like okay like what's your what what's your plan right it's the same thing it's like what are you what are you trying because like i still do it where i just reach out my phone i can't remember why i did and then 30 minutes later i'm like caught up on twitter but i don't you know my to-do list is sitting there um so thinking like one of the things i don't like is when youtube is rolling into the next thing and the next thing and, the next, and this is how we all grew up on tv was like yeah. you had no choice what came yeah. up next yeah um and now they totally have a choice. So it's sort of like, let's let's use that. You know, like figure out what you actually want to see. Don't just take what you get fed next by some algorithm and sort of think about think about that each time before you start engaging with the screen. Yeah. I love that. YouTube, I have really struggled with YouTube. I just think it's so hard because it's something, I think limiting it altogether is not great because we need to learn to live with this and there is so much good stuff. But it's like we all want better for our kids than we see ourselves doing. Yeah, I mean, it's tough when a tool is also entertainment, you know, and I don't, mm-hmm. we didn't suffer as much from that when, when we were, when we were younger. So here you've got this thing that it, it can be both a totally great tool for learning new stuff, but at the same time, it can be this black hole of, you know, entertainment on every different subject. So it's, it's hard. Like, I think even adults struggle with it, too. So part of it's recognizing that. Yeah, totally. All right. I hope that helps. Uh, tired of arguing. But we should go on to recommendations. Greg, what are you recommending this week? I thought of like three different things. But so here's what, here's what I'm recommending. I haven't figured out a word for it yet. But I think I would call it uh, like cool adult compliments. Here's what I figured out with some friends of mine. I know that if I tell my kids, I'm trying to build my kids' confidence, especially the boy. And I figured out that like if I tell him that his shirt looks cool, that doesn't that does not help at all. And so I've made a secret agreement by finding out which of my friends he thinks is like really cool. Uncle Nick is cool because he like paints models and has RC cars. And so I'm like, Nick, if you ever get, you know, Hugo and it's just the two of you, I need you to just pay him any compliment. You can tell him like rad jeans, doesn't matter. But like, that's our agreement. I will do the same for your kid once he's old enough to understand compliments because his kid is like, you know, one. Um, and I'm going to do the same thing for Nina. And they'll just have this person. Because I think I still remember this from when I was a kid. It was like once in a while, you'd have that uncle that you thought was totally badass because he did fly fishing. And he would say something like, you know, I like your bike. 
And then you'd remember that when you were like 42. That's really cool. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm trying to like make this silent agreement with the, I'm finding the people they think are cool and then making an agreement that gonna, we're all going to pay each other our kids' compliments. I hope somebody picks me as the cool one. I love this. <laughs> you don't have to wait to be picked. If you're an adult around other kids, give them a compliment because maybe you are their cool person. You know? Right. Got to figure out if you're cool though. Got to yeah. look at them like, yeah. Like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, my wife's love language is verbal affirmation and she's really good at paying other people compliments and it has told my daughter has totally noticed and she has integrated it too she'll go up to people at the park and say i like your shoes um and it's the cutest thing so the more you compliment people the more they will it's such a great thing especially for men to practice i don't think we're you know a lot of us aren't naturally good at it so mm -hmm. i think it's beautiful greg i agree a secret a secret booster for your kid too is like awesome that's like next level parenting i love it <laughs> for sure <laughs> I am recommending the book Aaron Slater Illustrator. I am sure if you've been a parent for a while, you're probably familiar with the questioners. And it's just these these wonderful books. It includes um, Sophia Valdez, Future Prez, um, Iggy Peck Architect, and of course, Ada Twist, Scientist. There are some others. They are just my favorite books. Um, they're by Andrea Beatty. And they're so lovely. You should go check them out. They are targeted at age five to seven. And just um, talk so much about kind of being a kid that loves to do something that no one else understands. And it's, it's a message that I think all kids can, can understand. The classroom is in, that is in this book is incredibly diverse and all the kids are cool and doing their own things. And it's just introduced my kids to a variety of occupations and things that people do. And just in lovely, I love any, I, I'm always recommending poetry. Um, this book is written in verse and I just love that. My nine-year-old was so excited when this book came because he remembers, of course, we have the other series. So I think it's really good for any age. And I'm just a huge fan of this whole series. So if you haven't heard of it, go check it out. If you have, the new book is out, Aaron Slater Illustrator. Great. Thanks for that. So my recommendation is for uh, you fellow parents and maybe your older kids. But I took myself on a solo date this week to see the new Wes Anderson movie, The French Dispatch. I have a feeling this recommendation is right. is like right down the middle for, for our audience. Um, but first of all, going to the movie theater, my God, that was so fun. I hadn't done that in so long. I went to like a 1030 PM show. I was the only one in the theater. Uh, and it's one of these theaters now that has like a recliner and heated seats. I took my socks, not, no, I took my shoes off. I kept my socks on. Sorry. I took my shoes off. Uh, I got popcorn and just let this beautiful movie wash over me. I needed a little break, a little pick me up. And it reminded me how much I love movies, how much I love Wes Anderson movies. And uh, yeah, like treat yourself to, to a movie in the movie theater. That's amazing. Oh man. Yeah, that's awesome. That's it for our show. Before you go, please subscribe to the show. And if you have a question for us, email us at slate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by the amazing Rosemary Belson. For Elizabeth Newcamp and Greg Lavalley, I'm Zach Rosen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>